All right, here we are. It's Thursday and a beautiful day here in Southern California. I asked my wing gal. Ready? Ready. Zoe Zer Sklingflish Eck. <laughs> See, here you are starting with the Zer again. I don't even know where you're getting that Z. In the I beginning. don't know what it is. You know what it is? I think it's because the first name, the Z, comes out at you. Yeah, and it's, it almost feels like you need to go zzzzzz when you do the rest of the name. Now, each week when you're trying to pronounce my last name, are you looking at it or are you just no, you're just, no, no, you're just winging it? No, as a matter of fact, <laughs> whenever I need to write your name, uh-huh. I have to go back to like one of your sites or something to find the spelling. And then it, just do copy and paste. Yeah, because there's easier. no freaking way that I'm going to remember how to spell that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fun one. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I felt I felt the need to get another show out this week, and the week's getting away from us. So I put it out to social media and said, "Okay, what the heck do you want me to talk about?" And got a just a ton, a ton of questions from people that. Most of which were really, really good. Some of them a little funny, you know, but to be expected, you know, you got a got a hundred people that comment. You're gonna get about ten of them that are gonna just kind of have fun with you, right? So I tried to get Zoe to punch it out to Instagram, and and she says all I'm gonna find is people want to date me. <laughs> so she was useless. <laughs> she was. I just. Sometimes if I ask a question, like any questions you want to ask me or ask Rich, I just get like, will you marry me? Can I take you out on a date? Like, I don't ever really get legit questions. <laughs> well, some of them might be legit. You never know. Yeah, but that's true. I mean, they may really I, want to marry you. I It's too hard to filter through all of those. Not that I get a tremendous amount, but there's a lot of DMs in there to filter through. So <laughs> You know, you got to kiss a lot of frogs to get a prince. That's all very, I'm telling you. Very true, very true. All right, but anyway, we got a good list of uh, questions, and clearly we're not able to answer them all. And I think what I need to do is periodically go through and do this again and go through the minutia of asking the simple question once again to have people ask what they'd like to talk about and then we'll visit it again. And so clearly I need to be entertained because I'm old. And if if it's not working for me, then, you know, what the heck, right? <laughs> but um, we had some good questions. And there's some that I really, really enjoy that I really want to touch on. Some of them are just like, you know, going back to the lab and, and discussing my day-to-day, which honestly, uh, as I was saying earlier, it's like uh, sometimes it's like you, you had this – this hit song in the seventies and every place you go where they hey, sing that song again. And you're like, Oh, you shitting me. Do I really got to sing that again? But it's good stuff. Honestly, it's good stuff. It's just that I've been hearing it so often and a lot of people haven't had the chance to hear it. So uh, it's educational. It's informative. It's take home stuff. that will help you with training. So I guess it's my obligation to punch it out there for you when you request it. Fair enough. Well, I mean, if you're going to have the name with the natural running coach, you got to like coach every once in a while. <laughs> well, in this regard, it's the natural running network. Yeah, but isn't your website doesn't have coach in it? One of them. Yeah. One of my sites does that. <laughs> One of, yeah. And, and uh, truth be told, I do coach 
quite a few people actually. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but let's get off that stuff. Let's kind of hit yeah. some of these questions. All right. Yeah. Um, but before we uh, kick into it, are there any, um, oh, events yeah. or anything coming up for you? Thank you for tickling my, my dead brain. Of course. All right. So obviously one of the things that I really want to talk about is the clinics that we have coming up. And if you listen to the show that I did a while back with Brian Carney, who is the CEO founder of Bone Frog, we have entered into a relationship, a partnership, and it's kind of a, what's the term, symbiotic relationship where we're just going to do what we can to help each other out. We're shouldering up because I really like what he's doing. I really like the event that he puts on. And apparently he feels pretty good about the work I'm doing. And so there we go. Now, there is an event coming up in June, which is the Bone Frog in New Jersey. And even though I turned people down to come back to New Jersey this year, I changed my mind. And since I have this relationship developed with Bone Frog, we're going to put on a clinic the day before the Bone Frog event which is June 16th in uh, New Jersey, somewhere close. I don't have the, the exact place right now, but anyway, this is going to be pretty cool. It's going to be way different than the clinics I typically do because there won't be any testing. So anybody thinking about that, that's not happening. We're not going to go into the lab. What we are going to do is we're going to bust out the fundamentals. We're going to bust out the video analysis. We're going to do all that work, all the hands-on stuff. And then we're going to do it on the course, the course that you'll race the following day. So what a cool opportunity is that? You're going to actually get a chance to test your new skills on the actual course you'll be racing the following day. And I actually put a thing out. Um, I said, hashtag, you should have been here Friday. <laughs> which will be, you know, what you tell your friends that you, you smoked them on the course that day and they're trying to figure out what the heck you're eating and wondering whether or not you were taking performance enhancing drugs or whatever. But it's almost like cheating to get some very, very serious upgrades in the way you're moving and do it on the course you plan on racing the following day. So if for no other reason other than to gain an edge over your local pals or the competition that's been crushing you of late, this is going to be a great opportunity. And I have to tell you that we're only going to take a handful of people. There's not going to be like this open door, call me up like a day before the thing and try to squeeze in. It's not going to happen. It will sell out. As a matter of fact, we're already getting close to selling the thing out. And to find out where you can register for this. You can go to naturalrunningcoach.net and you'll find the information there. Or you could even go to diazhumanperformance.com and get the information there. Now, aside from that, even before that, we're going to be in Chicago. And Chicago is very near being sold out as well. And this is going to be the real deal. So this is the two-day gig. This is where we're doing the testing the day before we do the actual hands-on. And if you're anywhere around that area, this is going to be your opportunity because me coming back to Chicago ain't going to happen this year for certain. And next opportunity after that is going to be Killington, Vermont, which is July. 
Next opportunity after that is going to be Atlanta in November. And then after that, oops, I skipped one. We're going to be doing a clinic here June 2nd at the Secret Lab, which is always a hoot because I got total control of the domain. It's just a real cool place to do it. But then again, we're going to be in Atlanta in November, and they're going to go to Austin, Texas in December, and that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing anything else this year. Yep, that's a lot. That actually gives um, some people some opportunities. Um, I highly recommend going to see Rich in any of those locations. If you have a chance, you are not going to regret it. No, they're not going to regret it. I haven't had anybody regret it yet. And if, yes. and if they, and if they have, they haven't told me, but, uh, and if you had keep it to yourself, I don't want to hear about it because I did my job. I tried really hard to help. So, all right. So let's, let's deal with some of these questions. What do you say? Yep. Sounds good. Um, well, since we're already kind of on the OCR race topic, since you're going to be, um, hosting that clinic on that actual course, we had a question from Gabriel and he was wondering, if you were an OCR athlete, what shoe would you wear? And he would love, or he would value your opinion, Richard. Well, that's awfully nice of him, and I, I, I love that he uh, would uh, take my opinion to heart. And I wish I had a clear-cut answer for you, to be honest. I There are shoes that I recommend to people commonly, and the unfortunate end is, in my opinion, I've yet to see a shoe that I really 100% am on board with for OCR. Now, there's some shoes I think that are very close. And I think Ultra has a pretty good option in the Mountain King because, for starters, I don't like crowding your toes. And that's the biggest problem I have with most of the OCR racing-style shoes is they tend to have the traditional toe box where it kind of comes to a point. Your toes don't want to do that, folks. You really want to allow your feet to do what they do, which is to let those toes splay out and be comfortable and have room. And Ultra does that, and so does, um, what's the other dude? Um, Topo Athletic does that. And I've actually had a couple guys ask me about the, the Vivo Barefoot line. Apparently they're coming out with a new shoe that is designed for trail. And then you have, you got uh, Innovate, then you got Merrill, and you got Solomon. But a lot of these shoes where the traction is really good, they got real good grip on the bottom and there's good protection underneath and they're light and they're zero drop and all the cool things that I'm looking for, where they leave me wanting is that the ones that tend to have the good toe boxes, they kind of leave you behind with the grip. And uh, I was working with uh, VJ just uh, a couple days ago and he was wearing the Mountain Kings. He just got them. And I got a close look at the way they were working for him. And mm -hmm. and um, they seem to be pretty good. And uh, the tread seems to be pretty good. So yeah, I guess if I had to lean towards a particular shoe, that would probably be it for me. Now, are those the shoes that I saw in his stories where he actually had to put holes in them so they could drain? He's done that before. And as a matter of fact, we've had that conversation. Uh, and I discussed it with him. And I said... What I'd like you to do is probably run a line of holes in the bottom of the shoe mm -hmm. uh, where traditionally they like to create ports on the side of the shoe. And uh, to me, that's just going to make sure that the shoe degrades sooner. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you were to punch a couple holes with a drill, uh, you know, like a, a quarter inch hole, something like that, three eighths hole, 
uh, like three in a line, like right under the arch. Because when your foot lays down on the ground, just think about like you're just you're just pushing the water out of the shoe. Mm-hmm. So, so the biggest complaint that I've had from people was that they thought the shoe was a little too heavy. And some of the shoes tend to hang on to too much of the water. And believe me when I tell you, when you're carrying a lot of water in that shoe, it'll slow you down. Yeah. So um, I guess the answer would be I'd go with the Ultra Mountain Kings. Um, honestly, I, I some of them, I'm like on the fence about them. I, I, I almost could say innovate, but my, my disconnect with them is the way they create the toe, toe box. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually had somebody comment on that to me. They said, I'm trying to get out of the Innovate because I don't like the toe box. And they want to go to this other shoe. And they asked me about the other shoe. And I, I just didn't know enough about it to give them a, a reasonable answer. So I kind of left it alone. But Yeah, uh, it's it's. I mean, it's hard to find an OCR shoe that kind of fits into every single category to have the drainage, to have the tread, to have the comfort, to have the zero drop, to have the wide toe box. I feel like there's not one in particular that is just the best but there are some good ones out there yeah it always ends up being a sacrifice somewhere along the way mm-hmm. all right let's go uh thank you gabriel by the way and let's let's move on all right so next question um oh, hold on a second i'm getting a call rich hold on a second okay you there yep okay sorry uh so let me say that again so um, another question that we had that I'm actually uh, really want you to answer too because I feel like it's important is um, this is from Victoria and she wants to know how to best help our kids. So is that running athletically, but how can we help our kids? It's, uh, it's an interesting topic. And, and as we discussed before we went on to the show here, a lot of people know me, obviously enough. The reason we're even doing this right now is because I've got a pretty strong following in the obstacle course community. What a lot of people don't know is I spend a lot of time working with youth in the sport. And traditionally, what I've seen is kids playing soccer. Obviously, I've seen some football players, some basketball players. And I see a lot of cross-country and track and field athletes. And I think about the youngest that I've taken them is about 10 years old. And uh, the wheelhouse where seems to be kind of a sweet spot for these kids is in and around 14, 15 years old. And currently I have about three clients that I'm working with. And when I say working with, I'm talking about physically coming to see me on a regular basis where I'm working with them. And I'm actually training them. It's not coaching anymore. Now we're training. And uh, one of them is a collegiate soccer player doing really, really well, incidentally. And one of them is a soccer player and just came back from a big deal in North Carolina, I guess. There's a lot of scouts that apparently shows up for, for university. And uh, I've got a new kid coming in on Sunday who is a pretty promising cross-country runner. And so these kids, you know, they're growing up, right? And the thing about adults is that we have history. We understand soreness. We understand the recovery process because we, we've had experience, right? So like you've done things to yourself that you've recovered from and you kind of got a sense of the response. What does it take for me to recover from this or that? What's too much, what's too little? And kids really don't have that kind of uh, knowledge base because they're very young and they're, the whole thing is new to them. 
Now, with uh, that said, um, the other thing that is interesting about the kids is they're very reluctant. Um, they, you know, they bring the kids to me and we've never met and I'm just this old dude. And then you got the parent and a lot of times the parent's the problem where the parent is trying to encourage the kid to perform well. And a lot of these parents live vicariously through their children. Mm-hmm. I used to be a great athlete when I was in school, so you better be a great athlete too. And, you know, a lot of times it's the father. You've seen it. I mean, watch a soccer game with the kids. Yeah. Parents yeah. in the sidelines screaming at the kids, right? Run! Run! You know, you're just like, shit, I was one of those. I did that to my kid. And, and so you got this emotional connection, and it's traumatic. I think a lot of times it's traumatic. The relationship between the, the kid and the parent and the kid's wanting to perform. The kid wants to perform for the parents because, you know, after the game or whatever, you know, they take you to get some ice cream or take you to get pizza because, you know, they're so proud of you. You did a great job or you sucked and you don't get the pizza, <laughs> you know, and things aren't going mm-hmm. that well. And then your old man or your mom is just jacked, pissed off at you. And you got this tension that's going on and and it transcends into the way you know relationships are in school, so you're not performing well. And and uh, let, let me tell you a story, okay? I gotta give All you right. a story. Because I've got a ton of these and, and again this is the reason why I really kinda like this question. And back in the day when the, the secret lab was not a secret, it was actually a storefront business where Anybody that's kind of done any research, they'll see the pictures of the old place, which was a very, very cool spot, by the way. Uh, I had about 3,000 square feet dedicated to my lab. There was a training opportunity in the back, um, and there was outback. There was like a CrossFit setup, and, and this is actually before there was CrossFit, you know, where we had big tires and chin bars and the whole thing that we did, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of functional training. We're doing big Olympic moves, barefoot back there. But anyway, long and short of it is that people could walk in like walking into any any store in a mall. And a lot of people just looky-loose, they're out of curiosity, you know, what do you do here? Because the sign was a little daunting. The, the sign, the big, big sign, monument sign said, DHP, elite training. Now, a lot of people thought they couldn't go in there because they weren't, they just weren't elite. It, did, it didn't fit their, their bill, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but every now and then, we get some quizzical people that would just kind of wander in. And this is before I have ever even thought about working with kids. And so I'd get somebody wander in and say, Look, um, this is Bobby, and Bobby's a pretty good la-la-la, and can you help him? And uh, with me, and which has been the case with me forever, is that I like the challenge. I like to say, okay... Let's get a look at what's going on here. What can we do to make it better? So I started working with kids and started introducing them to gate work and overspeed development training and functional strength and all this kind of stuff. So it got to be quite a big deal. And about 90% of the business I was doing was with kids and I was working with kids one-on-one. It's not like you go into some camp environment where there's 50 kids and you got a couple of guys that are you know working the deal. This was like you and me. And now, to this day, I still do the work, but I don't advertise it. I'm found through word of mouth. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, this kid coming in on Sunday, who's I got this, you know, two-page email about what the kid does and the relationship and how he's getting along with others and. You know, he's a little funny and, you know, there, there's all this, the parents are just so emotionally tied to it. They got to sing this whole song to me before I see them. Mm-hmm. And so my typical MO is I require an interview with the kid and I make them pay for that interview. I learned from experience that the, the parents having the opportunity to bring their kid to me to spend a little time with them, um, they'll do that all day long if it's for free. Yeah. And then I find out that they basically ate my entire day and uh, I didn't make any money and I'm in the business of earning my living. This is what I do for a living. So now what I do is I charge them for the visit. And then what I'll do is I'll do a video analysis. I'll get a look at them. And I'll put the video up on the screen and I'll show the parent and son, daughter, whomever, what it is that I see, what it is we need to work on and what the path looks like to get them to this better place. And it will also give them a very honest opinion as to whether or not they're in the right place. Because sometimes the kid, just based on the conversation, doesn't want to be there. The parents want them to be there. The kid is there begrudgingly. I will not Mm -hmm. work with a kid that doesn't 100% want what I'm about to offer. Because it's not easy. So going back to my little story. Parent comes in with a daughter, and I want to say she is a freshman in high school. And this is one of those kids that are really, really sharp. I think she was, like, really good on the piano, very articulate, very smart kid as a rule, but not athletic. Mm -hmm. And I think the parents felt like in order to round off her athleticism or her career or cause her to be just a more well-rounded kid she needed to get some exercise right so they bring me the girl and what i find out is that the girl uh they made a deal the parents made a deal with the girl she said i'm going to give you a thousand dollars if you just go through one season of cross country they're going to give the kid they're going to they're going to give the the parent made a deal with the kid i'll give you a thousand dollars cash if you just sign up for cross country and you don't quit. So the kid's going, yeah, I could use a thousand bucks, right? So, so the kid signs up for cross country and the kid has no idea what she's getting into. And so she can't even run around the track once without having to walk. Right. Yeah. And uh, so what ends up happening for quite a while is they bench her. She's like sitting on the bench or when the kids run off, like in the cross-country kids, they run off. They leave the school and they go run however far, and then they come back. This kid can't ever complete that distance, so she's left out. Now, try to imagine the social implication of you being the runt of the cross-country team. Yeah. And how it affects you day-to-day. And going to school and just, just hating the idea that you've got to go do this cross-country thing. So I find all of this out in my interview with the girl. And then with the parent sitting next to the little girl, I'm looking dead at the little girl and I'm saying, here's the way this is going to work. Number one, if you're not 100% bought in to me and what it is I'm planning to do for you, you need to just get up and walk out of here with your mother right now. 
And I told the parent, I said, if your daughter doesn't want to do this, we're not doing this. I don't care what you want. She needs to want this because if she doesn't, we're not doing business. Mm-hmm. Now, they're getting ready to pay me good money. It's good money. But I won't do business under that circumstance. And so I prefaced this by saying to the girl, I said, I want you to take into account that there's going to be a lot of opportunity in your life to fail and to succeed. And what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to turn away from this project because it beat you. I don't want you to lose to this project. So let me make you a deal. If you come and see me, if you do this with me, I guarantee you that I will make you better than what you are right now. You may not win. You may not be the the leading runner on your cross-country team, but I'm going to get you in the game. I'm going to get you to a place where you're going to have the confidence and the ability to hold up and be part of the thing and start to enjoy it. And I said, then when it's done, if you just decide that you just don't like to run, bail, get out of it. But take your $1,000 and know that you finished it and it didn't beat you. And, and I told them both, I said, I do not want you making this decision with me right now. You go home, you discuss it, and in your heart of hearts, if you listen to me and you're believing what I'm telling you and you really want to do this, then you guys give me a call and let's set it up. All right, so day goes by. I get a call from the parent. They said, she's in, we're in. Where do we begin? So I got her in. I started working with her. Three, four appointments later, the girl calls my office. Not the parent. The girl calls my office and I didn't get the call. My wife actually got the call. The girl was beside herself so excited because not only was she able to run the entire um, six-mile training session, but she was mid-pack, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, she was so excited and she couldn't wait to tell me. And so my wife comes out. She goes, look, this little girl is just bubbling and she just called. And she goes, and she wants to tell you herself that she was able to do this, right? So, you know, I'm like getting, you know, chicken skin, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm excited for her. And it, it makes me feel good to know that I was able to do this for her. But this is kind of the traditional thing that I see often. I'll see this kind of grudge match between the parent and the kid. This whole day, I had one kid used to come to me and they had him involved in three, four different sports at the same time. And they bring him to me as like the adjunct to all the other things he's doing. And they're telling me, make him a better athlete. And I say, yeah, yeah, we're on it. We're going to get this done. Da, 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 da. The parents would leave and I would go into recovery mode with the kid. I'm putting them on, yeah. I put him on the vibration plate. I'm start working on some soft tissue work on him. I'm doing some foam rolling and I don't even let him do any exercise. Because the kid is beat down. You could see that his eyes are dark. The kid's overtrained, overworked. And the parents are really at fault for this. And I'll tell you what, I, I've learned that I won't go through that anymore. So I guess the advice that I would offer is this. Is that you want to make sure that the kids want it, number one. And then when they show you that they want it, do what you can to support their, their process. Not force them into anything, but support the process. So in this particular circumstance, I think it was Victoria Vignet that, that she had said that she was actually bringing her, her son to my clinic in Chicago. 
he's a pretty awesome. good he's a pretty good runner and she feels like that if he got some help that he'd be even better runner now this is supportive this is doing something to help the kid now what she needs to do is back away stay away from it let me do my thing with the kid help him out and just let the thing do what it does and he'll he'll flourish he'll do better because he'll be knowledgeable i've had kids come to me that i hadn't seen and incidentally this is you see i'm getting excited about this <laughs> i've had kids come to me that realize that you come to me zoe how old are you 28 you're 28 years old if you come to me in 10 years you're not going to be a better athlete than you are today. Well, I mean, circumstances being what they are, you might be. But, but you know what I'm talking about. So so what I'm saying is, you know, as adults, we get older, we don't get better. We just try to hang on to what we had. With kids, they're like, they're like cocoons, man. They're going to blossom into this thing. And um, so I've had kids come to see me where I hadn't seen them in five years. And like I get this, like a 14-year-old kid, he comes to see me four years later. He's 18 years old. He's grown into a man. I've had ball players I worked with that come to me where they had Osgood-Slaughter's disease. There's all this problem with their joints because they're growing so fast. At one particular kid, he had a size 16 shoe. He's about five foot nine, and skinny as a rail. Every joint on his body was in pain. Oh, he, poor kid. <laughs> I, worked, I worked with him. I got him through a lot of this. And by the time he was a senior in high school, he came back in the door. He was six foot four and he weighed about 215 pounds of muscle. I put him on the treadmill and let him run. And everything that I taught him, he obtained and hung on to. And it was right there in his quiver since the day we met. And that is such a powerful thing to see how these kids absorb this information, put it to use, and it just really, really works for them. So anyway, to long, I, I, I'm telling you, on the topic, I could do this all day with you because I have a hundred stories like this, at least. But encourage the kids. Don't force the kids. Don't shove a bunch of sports on them. Let them taste it. Give them an opportunity to taste these various things. Don't let your own personal opinion kind of dictate what the kid should or should not be good at or do. Let them taste it. If they don't like it, let them out of it. If they need education, provide it. But don't become this thing that is just like, you know, the kid ends up hating you, going to drugs, and, you know, next thing you know, they're blowing up a school or something. Another subject well, altogether. I don't know if it's if that it's that extreme, but just for the kids, like you don't want them to start hating the sport. Like if it's a sport that they started to love, and then their parents or someone's forcing them to do it or do it too much, you just don't want them to start hating the sport they once loved. You could ruin it for them, no doubt about it. You yeah. Could. Again, I, I'm telling you, I could give you a thousand stories. I said a hundred, I, I, easily a thousand. Uh, I had I've had kids that I worked with that end up in professional sports. Where I, you know, I, matter of fact, last story, I promise. Uh, back in the day when I owned health clubs, had a guy come to me and said, look, and I knew the guy, right? He said, I will work for you for free if you teach me to be a good trainer because I'm working with my sons and I want them to get the benefit of good training advice. 
And these kids were baseball players, right? And I'm not going to use their names, but one of them went on to play for the Detroit Tigers. And the other one went on, I think he played for uh, the Marlins, something like that. But the one kid out of high school signed uh, his signing bonus. And this has been a while ago. His signing bonus was $500,000. And he ended up with a pro career where I think the, his best deal was about $14 million over five years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And his younger brother that came up behind him had a better deal, was a better athlete. And But where I'm going with this is this guy berated these kids, made these kids, worked these kids to death. It's the only time that I actually saw this, this, um, this pressure turn out to be valuable. Uh, but the kids hated him for it. I mean, he would make them... I, the, the, I was training the kids for a while myself, and I'd call, say, where's so-and-so? Uh, he's not there? No, he's supposed to be there. He's, you know, and I'm like, I see him walking down the street and he's got like a bag from, from uh, Burger King. <laughs> he had a bag from Burger King and his big super Coke or whatever. And he was just cruising, you know, he did, he decided not to come train. So you got to be careful with it really at the end of the day. So let's put a fork in that. Let's move on. All right. Well, kind of since we're on the topic of training, you had a couple of training questions, but one that even I've been seeing in some videos and I'm kind of curious about too. Um, this one's from Bruce. He said he would like to hear about training while pulling a tire. And then what kind of workout would you design for that? Well, the, the tire pull thing has gotten to be very popular. And I had a little, I, I got to tell you, I pushed back just a little bit because I saw people taking this to extremes. So if pulling the tire is good, then pulling a heavier tire must be better and so on and so forth. So it just got a little out of hand. I don't like a heavy tire. Now, let's preface it by saying if you're talking to me about being an endurance athlete and your focus is to improve your ability to go long or run better, you get a heavy tire, you're going to start causing problems for yourself because it's going to alter your mechanics. It's going to cause you to bend at the waist. It's going to change the loading patterns. Um, you're basically teaching yourself to be a stock horse. And that's not what you're in the game for. What you're hoping to do is run faster and more efficiently and with more economy. And so I actually have, and people have probably seen the video that I posted recently, uh, VJ dragging a bag. Uh, I, the name of the brand kind of escapes me at the moment. But I bought into this thing because it had a good waistband and um, the amount of load they, they, you could set it up where you could put, I think, I don't know, like 30 or 40 pounds in the bag. Mm -hmm. I, I put 15 pounds in the bag. And with 15 pounds, it's just enough to allow you to get just a little bit of a forward lean. And it allows you or actually prompts you to lead more with your knees. And it becomes very difficult to make bad mistakes with the way you run. So in other words, you're not likely to overstride. And you're going to get that lean. And a lot of the nuances of the position and posture you'll, you'll obtain by dragging this bag is very much in keeping with improving your ability to run well. So 
Now, if I was training a, a football player, we'd have a different conversation. Mm-hmm. And if you were telling me that your focus is to do TMX, maybe then we have a different conversation. But if you're talking to me about trying to be better at a Spartan event or such, then, um, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a different conversation. So, yeah. a, again, re- relating back to the, the video I posted recently, I had VJ do these workouts that I call lung busters. And these are pretty intense uh, efforts. So what you do is you run, uh, assuming that you're not using load, you, you would run 100 meters and you make a right or left-hand turn up a hill. Now, in this case, the hill I'm talking about is about a 35% grade. And from the time that you hit the, the bottom of the hill towards the top, when you get to the top, you're looking at about a 30-second effort. So the idea is you run 100 meters hard on flat, make that turn and slam up the hill as fast as you can. And we do repeats like this. Well, what I did is I, I harnessed VJ with this 15 pound drag bag and we did the same drills. And when he got to the top of the hill, what I had him do is pick up the bag, put it on his shoulder, walk down. And then we would free him. We do actually two of those repetitions, free him up from the bag. And then he would sprint about uh, 500 meters and then I'd have him pick up a, a heavy bag, like a, a rec bag, and then go back up the hill with that bag, dump the bag when it comes down, and then sprint another 500 meters without uh, any load. So I, I'll manipulate the load uh, a lot of different ways. I like to free them from the load to get a chance to feel their legs and draw some of the benefit from the way they were running by carrying or dragging the bag. And uh, that's the way I employ the bag. I don't, I don't use the real heavy sleds um, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that want to argue with me about it. Um, good for them. I just, this is the way I, this is the way I approach it. Yeah. Well, and kind of what you're saying with the heavy drags, like sled drags or anything like that, that's a whole different thing if they're not trying to do endurance and they're trying to do strength. So, well, yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I know a lot of these, uh, clubs that have sleds indoors where you load the thing up and you got a big push. Well, they do it in CrossFit. I love sled pulls and pushes. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, like one of my favorite things. Look, and, and I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It just depends on what you're using it for. Uh, mm-hmm. And in my case, what I try to do is teach runners to run faster and have endurance to produce the work for a longer period of time. And I don't know that the bag is really um, a tool that's conducive to that end. Now, mm-hmm. if you're trying to develop hip strength, quad strength, you're just really trying to overload your body. Um, yeah, you can go that route and, you know, to good end. But uh, again, I'm just saying for the uses that I'm into, that's just not the way I play. Yeah. And then what did you call that workout that you made him do? It's called Lung Buster. Oh, the Lung Buster. <laughs> I thought it was maybe like the Heart Buster. And I was like, oh, that's going to play into my next question. But the okay. Lung Buster. <laughs> well, the heart and lungs usually kind of go together. Yeah, I was going to say, because you have a couple questions um, regarding heart rate. So one is from Chris, and he said, is it a good idea to take off the watch every once in a while and run by feel? I do this sometimes, and I always seem to end up feeling like I had an amazing run. All right, so I have clients actually in my workout quiver. I have this library of workouts that I use for my athletes. I have a workout that's a two-hour hill run 
that I recommend that they don't wear a monitor. And so if the monitor is providing you with feedback, that's data, that's information. If you don't use the heart rate monitor uh, for any other purpose but to maybe collect pace and distance, that's information too, right? So mm -hmm. what I like to have people do is test the perception. Do you feel like you've learned to train? Let me try to draw some light to that. If I have you training with a heart rate monitor and we have very specific zones that we're training in, then you start to learn to be more perceptive in those particular zones. And then you almost get a sense of, of understanding of where you are when you should be there. Now, if you're training, I want you to have advantage of that information more often than not. I generally will tell my athletes if they don't want to wear their, their monitor while they're racing, that's fine with me because they developed the, the principles that we're trying to uh, own up to while we're training that should carry the day when you're racing. Some people get a little nervous when they look down and the heart rate's not what it should be when they're racing, and it, it'll, it'll freak them out, and I get that. But I don't... I would not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I would not just decide, oh, I know this, so I'm going to be perceptive about my training all the time now because nine out of ten times you're going to get away from the, the reality of things and it's going to screw you up. So, no. I, 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 I think there's a time for it, but it's not nearly as frequent as the time you need to be monitoring your heart rate. All right. And that you said that's for racing? Well, I mean, and then, again, on, on training sessions, what I'll do – is let's say that, for example, the last five weeks I have you monitoring your heart rate and you're doing very specific heart rate, specific drills. Mm -hmm. And then I say, okay, I want you to bust out a two-hour two hill run and I just want you to run for feel. And let's see what it looks like. But I'm collecting the data. You're not, yeah. use, you're not using the heart rate or, or either that or you're just not looking at it. And then I get the information. I say, well, look at that. You know, you kept your cadence on point. Your heart rate responses where they should have been, uh, your pace was good, or you completely blew it, right? You completely yeah. lost it. So it's a learning process as well. But um, just to suggest, yeah, don't wear it. Yeah, I'm not there. I'm not there at all because I want the information. Yeah. Well, awesome. And then um, another heart rate question that we had is from Callie. Um it's pretty much like the do's and don'ts of heart rate training. Um, so she's wondering if there are any common mistakes people make when they're training by heart rate and what is especially important to pay attention to when using heart rate. That's a good question. And I think that the number one thing that comes to mind is that people tend to be impatient uh, by nature. We, we just want instant gratification and Heart rate training does not provide instant gratification. Uh, again, going back into my history, I do a lot of work with triathletes. And uh, I am also a certified bike fitter. So I get a guy comes in to see me, and he's just not performing well. And we look at the bike, and we find out that he's just on the bike wrong. Biomechanically, things are not going well. Cost works through the roof. 
His angles are not, you know, such a place that he could produce good force. We fix the angles. He gets out there, and all of a sudden he's holding two, three miles per hour average, better pace than he was an hour and a half ago. That's instant gratification. Now, the same guy comes in, and we do a VO2 test, and I establish some parameters for his training, and now he's got to go to work. It may take six weeks before he starts to see some return on that investment. So the big thing, with, I think, with people is that they're so ready to quit or give up on the heart rate thing because they're not getting the instant gratification. It takes time. It, think of it like stimulus. What you're doing is you're controlling the, the type of stimulus that you're exposing your body to. Mm-hmm. And it takes time. So if you want to improve your aerobic capacity, you may need to stimulate your body for a greater length of time than you're allowing it to. And you get, you know, you, you keep getting upset with yourself because you're not seeing the type of rewards you were hoping for or were promised to you. And maybe it's just the, the, the way you're arranging your work is not such that it's promoting that type of an outcome. And the same thing would hold true with being anaerobic. So, we, you know, this again, this is a topic for a completely different show. But uh, I talk about training the dark side, which is when you go anaerobic. And I talk to people about how you're not going to win a race being aerobic. You need to be anaerobic if you're going to win a race. So you need to learn to contend with that anaerobic environment. And there's two things that are going to happen there. You're either going to develop a, tar- a, a tolerance. I'll say that again. You're either going to develop a tolerance to the ensuing lactate production, which is becoming acidic and it's starting to shut you down. Or you're teaching your body to be more efficient in converting that production of lactate to a usable fuel source. And that's obviously a good thing. And uh, these are the kind of things that also require some consistency in the stimulus. So a lot of people, when they do what they consider to be anaerobic training, they go randomly and way too hard and they bust through the potential to, to gather and convert this lactate to a usable, usable energy source. And they move right on into being acidic and it just takes them out. And they think that every time they take that punch in the face, it's going to make them better at taking a punch in the face. But at the end of the day, what happens is you just get a lumpy face. <laughs> is that a stupid analogy or what? Uh, eh, you know, I've heard worse. <laughs> yeah, so this, yeah, from me. So the, uh, the, the thing I'm getting at is that you need to allow the business to happen. And uh, you really want to look at the programming, how much time you're dedicating to the type of stimulus you're hoping to acquire. And I was careful to say it that way because uh, I don't believe that you first dedicate 12 weeks to aerobic conditioning to get your aerobic base, and then you get creative license to go over threshold and train. Because when you make that shift, you're going to start losing all the value that you gathered in those first 12 weeks or whatever it was of aerobic conditioning. So you really need to be keen on the way you arrange this work. And incidentally, you know, I'm going to bang the drum one more time. When people come to see me at these clinics, this is exactly what I'm doing for them. I'm doing a diagnostic. I'm looking at their responses. I'm telling them, based on what I see, what they should be doing with their training in order to encourage the type of results that they need. Because some people may be very good at being anaerobic and they have no aerobic potential. And you got people that are very good at being uh, 
aerobic and have no anaerobic potential. So it's not like a one-size-fits-all. It's not like you just kind of like hand the sheet to somebody and then everything's going to be cool after that. So uh, it's a process and, you know, it's kind of what I do. Well, yeah, and um, that's good that people will be able to learn that at all the clinics that you mentioned earlier in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and then, by the way, um, was this uh, – oh, that was, that was, that was Callie, right. Okay. So let's uh, – we're getting close to time to shut this down, aren't we? Yeah. I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's do uh, – I want to touch on this simply because the guy said – Blah, 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 scotch and cigars and cardio, cardiovascular benefits. <laughs> <laughs> I think he put that in there because he knew that I would probably take the question, right? Probably, probably. You I see? mean, I can ask the full question if you want. I, I was going to ask you to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, from Todd, um, this is a general training schedule for us working folks. How many days a week should a person run and what types of runs, easy versus hits, hills, etc.? how... How much cross train strength training should be mixed in? Uh, specific exercises for runners, blah, 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 scotch and cigars, and the cardiovascular benefits. <laughs> he knows how to get my attention. Yep. I, I like that about him. All right. So first of all, um, again, I just got through saying that it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing. Now, uh, there was another question that I don't have on this list, but I'm going to kind of um, draw them together because somebody was saying, hey, you know, what do you do when you're like a working guy? You got 40 hours worth of job that you got to deal with in family. You know, how do you fit your training in? And this is kind of along that line. He's asking how to arrange his work given that he's got this work schedule and so on and so forth. Now, the first thing you have to do is you have to start with an assessment of what your capacities are at the moment. So what needs the most amount of work? And that should be where you try to draw attention, right? So um, I like to see if, if you're going to be in a running event and we're really talking about OCR and most of these people are doing, you know, I always rant about this and, and this isn't going to be different, but I think people tend to race too often and their training is not really as preparatory as it needs to be to take on some of the challenges that they're into. But I think for starters, if you don't have a good base running capacity, and when I say base running capacity, I'm not even talking about any particular um, stimulus in respect to being aerobic or anaerobic, but just typically, are you capable of getting in a pretty decent run week? And when I talk to people that are running 15 miles a week and they're hoping to do an ultra beast, I just cringe. I mean, like, what are you kidding me? There's no, I mean... Obviously, you can walk the, the course, mm -hmm. right? But, I mean, to me, if you're going to do something like that, you want to go after it. You want to go after it with some gusto. So you should be capable of running the, the distance. Let's just separate you from the obstacles. Can you, if you had the opportunity to run, let's just talk about a beast. Let's just say 14 miles. Can you run 14 miles? And if you do, what happens then? Are you do you have joint problems? Are you sore? Um, does it beat you down? You should have enough volume in your training weekly to to be capable of taking on a challenge like that. Now, not to suggest that you don't need to run more often if you're doing a 5K event, because the 5K events are really 
almost as challenging. It's just different. You go faster, right? So mm -hmm. in order in order to go faster, the first thing you need to be able to do is run more often. So it gets back to having a pretty decent volume of training. And so let's just say you got a 40-hour work week. You can dedicate five hours worth of training a week pretty easily, um, especially if you're, you're getting a pretty decent workout on the weekend. So let's just say three out of the five work days, you dedicate an hour, maybe one day you get like 90 minutes. And on the weekend, maybe you throw something a little longer in. Uh, I don't believe in stacking all the work on the weekend because you're, you've got a you know, nine to five job because your body's not really getting a chance to um, derive the benefits of the training. You're better to do a little bit every day than try to do all of it at the end of the week. And then strength training to me does not require near the attention most people provide it. I think what happens with most people, they go and do a lot of strength work and grip work because it's convenient. You go into your garage, you got some stuff in your garage that you hang from, you do some chins or whatever. It's easy to get access to, so you do lots of it, and you start getting pretty good at it because what? You're dedicating a lot of time to it. But I'm suggesting that you could probably spend, oh, geez, about 15, 20 minutes, three times a week to actually maintain and develop pretty good strength. Now, this is assuming that there's consistency. I'm not telling you that a week after you've done three workouts in the week that you're going to be so much stronger than you were. But the consistency over time will win the day because the, the bigger portion of the event typically is the running. And I've said it before. You know what I'm going to say? Uh, you say a lot of things, so I'm not sure on this one. <laughs> I'll give you a, a... You can't You can't win if you run like shit. There you go. <laughs> I sucked it out of you. I'm like the new slogan on all of your t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I believe that. If you, if you can't put together a decent run, you can't win. So running is primary concern. You need to be able to get your run on. And you're not going to, don't go hard if your volume is 15 miles a week, unless you're a pretty savvy runner to begin with. If you've had 50 mile a week basis, and now because of your job, you can only get 15, you could probably do a maintenance type of thing with it. But um, if your biggest volume in the week is 15 miles, you got some work to do. And that's the end of that. <laughs> so, uh, Zoe, what's going on with you before we shut this down? Uh, I've been a busy lady. Um, I've been traveling to a lot of Tough Motor events. I get a nice little break until May, and then I'll be going out to Central Texas. So if anyone's out there, say hi if you see me. Um, and as far as my hip is, uh, you know, it's it's going. <laughs> well, can we just use that word consistency one more time? Yeah, consistency. Um, I've seen you, uh, what, a month ago? Yeah. Uh, and did, it's, I mean, it's true. It's just, you know, little things will bug it. And then I have to, you know, give it a little break. I'm being very, very smart, maybe a little overly cautious on this recovery. But, you know, I really don't want a third surgery on this thing. So, yeah. Have you noticed the magic wand in my place anywhere at all? Um, I think you hide it from me. I'm going to say, because I, I know I haven't broke it out and you've not had exposure to it. So <laughs> if you really want to get something done there, you got to make a little bit more asserted effort towards uh, getting that hip work done. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, I do a lot of stuff at home. I do a lot of mobility work and I, I dabble in little things here and there, but a lot of things bug my hip. And you're scared to go do that run challenge we talked about. Yeah, which one? Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I'm scared of doing that. Yeah. I, I, I know you are. I know you are. Now, I was terrified hopping in the pool yesterday. I, I did swim a lot right after surgery. I had a little buoy that I put between my legs and I would just use my arms. And that was really beneficial for me, both mentally and I think just for recovery as well to get a nice upper body workout. But I hopped in the pool for the first time yesterday since, uh, since summer and I brought my little buoy with me and I did a couple laps and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try to kick my legs and really see how it feels. And it felt fine. So uh, at least I can swim. <laughs> well, I uh, I put it out there that I was pretty confident that I could take you out on a one-mile run on pavement and you would survive it and be good as long as somebody was there to make sure you don't do all the wrong things. And I think I could agree with that. If I have you on your little bike or even in your car, I mean, how much exercise do you want to do? Um, well, let's face it. You're not going to outrun me. <laughs> So, unless you, are you going to run alongside me? Is that what you're saying? I could. I mean, because I don't expect you're going to run faster than me. You're, you know. All right. Well, then I. Maybe we will should do, race. I was gonna say, I'll do that. I'll do that challenge if you run alongside me. Yeah, we'll 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 do a race, right? So, let's see if Zoe with a messed up hip can beat an old man in a one mile run. See, that's going to be a sight to see right there. Yeah, we should charge money for that. I know, or we should just live stream it or something. Oh man, now we're now we're talking. Yeah, we are. All right, well, look, Zoe, thank you so much for coming back on. You guys heard me talk about it. The Bone Frog thing is gonna sell out. Actually, quite honestly, all of the events are gonna sell out. Killington is almost topped. I don't even think I could take any more people. You, if you're thinking about it and you hear this, this is your last chance. Killington's gonna sell out. It's done. Chicago's getting ready to sell out. I know Bonefrog will. Atlanta, we got room. Uh, in Austin, Texas, we got room because, you know, they're like sitting on their hands going, yeah, it's December. We can wait a little while longer. That's my Texas accent. <laughs> nice. Right. So anyway, uh, um, I hope we did a good enough job answering the questions that were posed to us. I know it was just a few, but it's only about an hour project, so... Uh, We'll do this again. Don't give up on me if you have questions. Uh, you know, smart thing is maybe say something about scotch and cigars. That always gets my attention. Yeah, and uh, if anyone ever has topic ideas that you want me and Rich to explore, just feel free to reach out to either one of us. And for me, like with legit questions, like come on, people. <laughs> you know what? If you're going, if you're going to ask her to marry you, you need to take a picture of yourself next to your private jet and your Lamborghini. <laughs> if you want to get some attention from her. Hey, I'm not a gold digger. <laughs> but I am looking for a sugar daddy to like pay for all of my hip bills See, there you and go. stuff. There you go. So I'll, I'll take offers for that if you want to pay for uh, treatments for my hip. <laughs> so what you're saying is you're not cheap, but you could be had. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you want to fix my hip for me uh, with some money it's for, for treatments and stuff, I I might be open to that. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> Operative word is open. Open, right, yeah. Let's just shut it down right now. <laughs> thanks, Zoe. All right. Thanks, Rich. All right. All right we're done. <laughs>